Just being made up for? No? No, okay, everyone's still... You're right out there. Yeah, just about. Good. That's okay then. Uh, you'll have noticed that on the screen it says, when God messes up your plans. I don't know how you are when things get messed up. You know, small things maybe, larger things. How, how are you when you... Let's imagine you've, you've arranged a meal with some friends and you've booked the restaurant, but you turn up at the restaurant and they've lost track of your booking. Oh, and you're embarrassed. You're, you're feeling awkward because you've got your friends with you and you've, you've turned up it, it, and there's no, no table for you. And the only place that's open is the Kentucky Fried Chicken down the road. And in an hour's time, there'll be a kebab shop open a bit further up. What do you do? How are you when your plans change and you have to accommodate that kind of change? We found the other day that as we were, um, I think it was... Good Friday at home. Judith was cooking the dinner, all was going well, and uh, we checked on it, it looked okay, she said, just turn it down a little bit, so we turned it down a little bit, uh, and dinner was burnt, really quite burnt on the top, and that's quite unusual. And then we ate dinner, and it was very nice. Uh, it was only the very top there that was slightly burnt, and we discovered that it was quite hot in the kitchen, and the oven was still on, and even though we turned it off, it was still on. Uh, and so the, the, there was this bright orange glow emanating from the oven. And we hadn't planned that. And so we switched it off at the wall and a little bit later switched it back on again. And it's glowing again. So it's fun in our house. It's hot in the kitchen. No, it's not. I've disconnected the element now. So I've taken it all apart and taken the element out and we, we should be safe now. Just to make sure I taped up the cables with a bit of plastic tape so we should be absolutely fine. It's 32 amps plugged into it. And my bit of insulating tape is guaranteed to protect us from blowing up just in case I've got a big wooden stick near the cooker. So if any of us get electrocuted, we can just, someone else can push them away from it. It'll be fine. We hadn't planned any of that. No, it will be safe, honestly. I've done this. I've done it, changed an element before. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> done it before. It's okay. No problem. We hadn't planned this. We hadn't planned. Judith hadn't planned to be discussing with me how we could possibly barbecue a leg of lamb. On Easter Sunday. We're not going to, but that was it, what part of the discussion. Part of the discussion was what fire can we light? Where can we light a fire? How can we cook this thing? Plans change, don't they? As a church, we, um, if, you ever, if anybody ever mentions going on a coach trip, there's a wry smile in the church or a chuckle. And that's because we've done a couple in the past and they didn't quite go as I planned. And I've never been on a coach trip since. Uh, we tried one which was to a beach, and we thought, wouldn't it be a lovely time to go to a beach? And so we got on a coach and went to Camber Sands, but too many other people had gone to Camber Sands, so it was shut to coach travel. Whoever, who has ever known a time when a beach is shut? Because it was just too full and we couldn't get in, so we traipsed around to Hastings instead, but the time had been taken up, so we ran off the coach, sat on the beach, had a sandwich or whatever we did, and got back on the coach and went home again. Not the greatest trip. Another one was when we went to join with other churches. Thankfully, I wasn't organizing this one. Um, but I still feel bad about it. And we went to a, a day of prayer. What could be more spiritual than a global day of prayer uh, held in Wembley Stadium? And we went up to go to Wembley Stadium, except uh, there'd been an awful tragedy on, on the M25, not just the normal car park that it is, but an actual tragedy. And, and uh, just it was, we couldn't get anywhere. And so we pulled off and had a break and tried to get back on and and there was this kind of dilemma of, do we go home, which is what we should have done, or do we press on, which is what we did? 
And uh, we just got caught in so much traffic. So hours and hours and hours, sat on a coach, and then we turned around and came home again. We never got there. So coach travel has a bit of a barb in it, if ever you mention it. In this church, um, you'll get a wry smile or a chuckle. And I suspect that one day I may pluck up courage to say, go on then, we'll go on another one. But sometimes your plans change. Those weren't God's, God changing our plans, I don't think. I think it was just stuff. Stuff just happens sometimes, doesn't it? You know? You, you go somewhere and something unexpected happens. And it, I don't think it's God doing it. It's just stuff happening. And that's what life's like. But I think in the Easter story today, I want to show uh, three sets of people who had their plans ruined. Uh, and God was at the center of why their plans are ruined. And we'll see what happens. So I'm going to read from Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And I haven't got the words up on the screen. I'm just going to read it. It's quite a big chunk of scripture. Matthew 27. And the story at this point is that Jesus has been crucified. He's already been on trial. He's been mocked. He's been crucified. He's died. And he's been placed, or he's about to be placed, in a tomb. And this is a story from verse 57 of Matthew 27. It says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he'd been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath, the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, where they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, the disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Three sets of people in that story whose plans were ruined. And I want to introduce them one at a time. 
and uh, just talk a little bit about why their plans were ruined and what Jesus did on that day. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. These, these guys were religious leaders, and they'd had enough of this guy, Jesus. They'd had enough of this man preaching and healing and making a difference in people's lives and just messing things up generally. And so even they, they kind of colluded to, to put him on trial. They'd tried to summon up uh, false evidence against him, and nothing was sticking. But somehow they managed to influence the crowd to persuade the Roman governor to put Jesus on a cross. And after he's been on the cross, they're still not happy. They're still not happy. After three years of following him around and checking him out, after three years of worrying about him and uh, trying to devise a plan, even after he's dead, they're still not happy with this. And what they do is they go to Pilate and they say, please, 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 we're still worried about this. He might, uh, the disciples might come and try and steal the body and take him away. Can you please help us? Can you do something about it? Can you put a guard next to the tomb? So let's just picture the scene. We've got a tomb. Inside the tomb is a dead man. They put a big stone across the entrance. The dead man's not getting out. It's going to be tricky for someone to come and move the stone away. But the plan is that there'll be soldiers stood next to the tomb and a seal placed on it. That's the deal. Because they're still worried about what's going to happen. The second person who's in this is Pilate. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. The Romans don't normally get involved in religious disputes. It's not normally their thing. They normally try and keep things quiet, but they were brought into this one by the Jewish leaders, involved in guarding a tomb. And you can imagine, can't you, if you're a Roman soldier, you know that some of these followers of Jesus, you know what they're like. You You've got a few fishermen and a tax collector and and a couple of zealots. They might be a bit dangerous, but other than that, it's not really a a big issue. And really, you're guarding a dead bloke in a tomb. What could possibly go wrong? It's an odd odd gig to get, I guess, as a a soldier, isn't it? Wouldn't that be an odd one to have? Of all the things Andrew mentioned, military service, I guess you never guarded a dead body, did you, in a tomb? Quite an unusual one. What could possibly go wrong? when you're guarding a tomb. And finally, Jesus' followers. It says, after the Sabbath at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Oh, they would have been distraught. I find it interesting that where often men are presented as being the, the strong ones and women are the weaker ones, the gospel story reverses that. And I'm glad it does. Because the men are nowhere to be seen in this story. But it's the women who are going to the tomb. And these women have made preparation to go to the tomb. They're, they're not just going to, to mourn. They're going and they've prepared spices to go and embalm the body and to go and treat Jesus' body and honor him and, and do an act of devotion to one that they loved and cared for and followed. So they're going to respond to what's happened in the way they think best and the best way they possibly can. And the women are the brave ones going to the tomb. They've got a plan. They've got an agenda. They've, they've got up before sunrise, or before the, the, the light is up. And they've gone very early in the morning at dawn to go and anoint Jesus' body. But all three of those plans get undone by the events 
of that day. The religious leaders had a plan to be in control. They sent this delegation hatching a plan to guard the tomb. And when it all goes wrong, they try and bribe the guards and try and cover it up and try and pretend it's okay. Why? Because their big fear is control. They want to still be in control. They're desperate. They know that the Romans are really in control and they've got a bit of control, but they they want to keep it. And even though there's all sorts of different Jewish factions fighting amongst each other, they've got enough authority to it's worth hanging on to. And people like Jesus threaten that authority. Jesus has constantly threatened their authority day after day after day. And their great master plan had culminated in Jesus dying. That was the best possible outcome they could imagine. Because surely now, the followers would just dissipate and disappear and never be heard from again. And we can carry on with being in control ourselves. How many of you know that plan didn't go too well? God messed up their plan. And I just want to say to you, God always messes up the plan when someone wants to be in control. Because he's in control. And he's better at it than we are. We had a few stories today of of people who who were sharing about their lives and what difference Jesus has made. And if we'd had time to unpack, each one could have shared about how things were going when they were in charge of their lives. And how brilliant it was some of the time. And how it wasn't so brilliant other bits of the time. And Craig said that life with Jesus doesn't make everything easy. And he's absolutely spot on. But there's only one way to live life truly, and that's to live with Jesus in control, with him being Lord and Savior. Jesus messed up the religious leaders' plans because he wouldn't stay dead. He came alive. Sometimes God doesn't just uh, mess up your plans. Sometimes he redeems them. Here we see the soldiers and their plan. They had a plan for peace and quiet. The Roman soldiers didn't try and get involved too much in religious disputes, as I said earlier. The Romans were famous for something called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Uh, And their idea was to go and conquer lands quite violently and then suppress any uprising and call that the Roman peace. And it it was pretty successful. They tried not to antagonize once they'd managed to suppress everybody and tried to keep it calm. And it was rigorously enforced, but it was a kind of peace. And so they were just trying to keep things quiet. And here there was an agenda to keep things quiet, to keep everything quiet. I guess those soldiers would have been just trying to find somewhere to, to, to sleep, maybe. Not the greatest of jobs, as I said earlier. They were just trying to keep an eye on this tomb and keep people away. And just let's get, have a quiet night. Let's just get through the night and everything will be okay. God royally messes up their plans. He really does. There's a funny line I read to you earlier, which is where Pilate says to the Jewish authorities, go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. Now, now these people are not idiots. I'm not going to make them out to be buffoons. They're not idiots, but nobody had thought that the problem was going to come from inside the tomb. Everybody was imagining that the problem was going to come from outside. Guards on the outside, a Roman seal, the the kind of seal of authority, the mark of authority. This was the stamp that said, you do not touch this tomb, because Pilate says so. 
He's got authority. Therefore, you stay away. The guards represented that. They, they acted on behalf of Rome. But nobody factored in the fact that Jesus wasn't going to stay dead. He was coming alive. And their quiet night was ruined. As an angel arrives, rolls the stone away, the seal is broken, and it turns out that the tomb is already empty. The third plan was to perform an act of devotion to a friend, actually, but which could have become a religious devotion. And this is the hardest one, because these women are doing a good thing. A generous, kind, honoring thing. They've put work in, they've prepared, they've planned to do a good thing. And Jesus messed up their plan, too. Their carefully prepared spices weren't needed. Their rising early in the morning to go to the tomb to perform an act of devotion wasn't required. Why? Because Jesus was alive and well. He wasn't sticking around to be dressed up in spices. He had things to do and places to go. And they were some of the people he needed to see. And today, I want to encourage you that the Easter story is a great story. But it's more than a story, it's true. And it's a great illustration to us of how it's a, it's a good idea to swap our plans for God pla- God's plans. It's a great illustration of how it's a good thing to exchange our plans for God's. Let me run through these again. The plan to be in control. Sometimes it feels the most natural thing of all. If you watch children playing, one of the very early words they learn is no. One of the first words, parents never tell you that, that your first word was no, but it's not far off. No. Or you might hear this, mine. Mine. That's mine. And the sentences get longer as the kids get bigger, but it's basically that. It's mine. I'm in charge. It's mine. And it doesn't matter how old you are, when you've got a sibling and you're sitting in the car together, it's my space. Get off. Maybe not as adults, but pretty much leading up to that most of the time. Mine. I want to be in control. Most of us like being in charge. And God brings a challenge to us. Jesus' call to his disciples when he was with them was this, follow me. It it wasn't to add me into a list of things to do. It was follow me. Follow me. And, And so the disciples had to stop what they were doing and follow him. And wherever Jesus went, they went. He was in charge and they weren't anymore. It's impossible to be a Jesus follower and carrying on being in charge of your own life. Impossible. You can't do it. You give up charge to God and you say, God, I want you to be Lord. It doesn't make me an idiot. It doesn't make me incapable of making day-to-day decisions. It doesn't make me incapable of making the big decisions. But ultimately, you're in charge. I don't vacate my brain. I don't put it in a jar somewhere and say, now just lead me somewhere. That's not how it works. But we say, God, you're above my decision making. I want you to lead me and you to direct me and you to lead my steps. So many areas of my life I've discovered that when I follow God and let him have control, things go much better. When I try and live my way, they don't go so well. It feels good at the time. It feels right. It makes sense but it doesn't actually end up too well. And I've learned that contentment doesn't come from being in control. I think this is the hardest thing about being a Christian. If we'd, again, ask these guys earlier, just to be really honest and say, what's the hardest thing about being a Christian? I think somewhere in there would have been this issue of being in control. 
Who's really in charge? See, it's not too difficult to come to church apart from on a day when the clocks change and it's raining. Because on a day when the clocks change and it's been raining, you don't really want to get out of bed. You want to stay in bed, don't you? And go, oh, no, another hour, please, another hour. Let me make up for the hour I've just had. But today you've come and you're here. And going to church isn't too bad, but wrestling control and giving it to God and saying, God, I want you to be in control is actually quite difficult. But it's the most exciting way to live. It really is. If you try and remain in control of your life and I try and remain in control of mine, we're effectively saying, I want to be God. And I don't really want to do that. I want God to be God. Today, I encourage you to take a further step, wherever you are on the journey of understanding God and following him, take a further step in looking at Jesus and saying, can I trust this man? Could I follow him? Could I give him all? Could I let him lead me? Could I trust him that enough to let him begin to lead me? And if you're just beginning that journey, then have a look at Jesus. I encourage you to make a conscious decision to begin looking at him more. Because this is what being a Christian is all about. Begin looking at Jesus and saying, can I trust him to let him lead me? That's all I'm asking you to do if you've never thought about being a Christian before. If you already are a Christian, you're already walking with Jesus, and you're already trying to follow him, I want you to take another good look at Jesus and say, can I trust him more than I already have? Can I trust him more with more of my life than I already have? Sometimes, like the Roman soldiers, our highest aim is peace and quiet. Some of you have very busy lives. Sometimes you get in after a busy day at work, and it's late at night, and you've got all sorts of things going on at home, and you just want the world to stop turning for a minute. Now, I'm not an astrophysicist. I'm not sure what would happen if the world stopped turning, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be very good. So maybe that's not the best illustration. But you want things to stop, and you want the chaos to stop around you. And you just want some peace and quiet. And when someone says, what are you hoping for? The thing you're hoping for most is a house in the country somewhere where you'll be undisturbed, where no one will come and find you, where there's no mobile phone signal and no internet. And it's just you. And it's peaceful and calm and quiet. Maybe it's not quite that extreme. Maybe your idea of peace and quiet is to have a good life and a good job and a good house and a good family and a good car and a good holiday. And maybe as you look ahead, you're imagining after having all those things that you might have a better house and a better car and a better life and hopefully keep the family, um, but a better job and better holidays and, and so life goes on. And that's your idea of peace and quiet and a good life. I want to encourage you today by just saying, just be prepared for God to mess up your plan. Especially if you want to follow him. And the reason for this is simple, because nice as those things are, they don't last forever. They really don't. They, They really don't last forever. And they don't give lasting contentment. You can keep your head down and get through the night like the soldiers were trying to do. But if your only ambition is that nothing much happens... It's not a bad plan, but I think God wants to redeem that plan. I think God wants to give you a new plan that's even better. That says, hang on to me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Because one day you're going to get more than that. 
more than, more than anything you could have now, you've got ultimate hope and ultimate security because God knows that peace is not the absence of bad stuff happening. Peace is the certainty that only God can give in the storm. Peace is the certainty that God gives in the storm. Hope is not a nice house to retire to with a solid pension and good health and a nice family. Hope is eternal in Jesus, secured for us by him. As Val said earlier, she didn't use quite those words, but she said that death had no fear for her anymore. We can trust Jesus because he beat death. He's better than any alternative. And finally, the friend's devotion to Jesus. Jesus wasn't planning that day to be remembered. He was planning to live. And I want to suggest to us today that Jesus doesn't only want our devotion. He calls us to live for him. Jesus isn't only calling us to personal devotion and acts of piety, but he's calling us to live for him. And that's a wonderful opportunity and a great challenge. They had a nice plan, a generous plan to care for Jesus, but it wasn't big enough. And I think God wanted to expand and explode their plan. Uh, Because Jesus said to them, you need to go and tell the disciples, tell the others, go to Jerusalem, tell them. And there's this ongoing plan that begins to unfold at that point. Uh, Jesus says to a woman in another passage in John's Gospel, he says, don't hold on to me, I need to go. There's this sense again and again in the Gospels where people say, Peter says the same to Jesus up a mountainside, oh, this is a wonderful spiritual experience, let's stay. Jesus doesn't say yes, ever. When anyone says, we're having a great time, aren't we, Jesus? Let's stay in this worship meeting. Let's stay in this moment. Let's stay in this moment of adoration. Jesus never says yes. In the Gospels, he always says, come on, let's go on to the next thing. Another agenda. And devotion is important, but it's part of a package of living for Jesus. Because it's not just about coming and staying. It's about coming and being with God. And as a result of being with God, living for him every day. Because Jesus expands our plan. So how do we respond when God messes up our plans? Well, the religious leaders carried on as if nothing had happened. Later, some of them would come to believe in Jesus. But their rule came to an end. The soldiers who wanted peace and quiet, their military power would wane. Their emperor, Constantine, a couple of hundred years later, found faith quite attractive, and Christian faith particularly attractive. And he adopted it for the Roman Empire. He discovered that his kind of Pax Romana, his peace, couldn't compete with the peace that Jesus brought, and his empire would fall too. But I want to commend to you the followers of Jesus, who brought their spices, came ready to give an act of devotion. Why do I particularly want to commend them? Not only because of their act of devotion, but because they were prepared to put their plan down for the sake of a higher one. They were prepared on that day to bring their spices and say, it's Jesus, the spices don't matter. We don't care. We're not going to present him with the receipt and say, can we have out-of-pocket expenses, please? We've brought this, we've planned it, and now you've gone and ruined it. They're delighted. And I want to encourage you that when God does something that surprises you, go with it and leave your plan and run and tell others and be devoted for him. Because I think it's when your plans change that sometimes that our true colors are revealed. It's when our plans change and life doesn't quite work out as we thought it would that what's in here comes out. It's when the job you're going for you don't get that what's in here 
comes out. It's when it exposes your hopes, your dreams, your security. And it's in some of those times that I've discovered that sometimes I've been building on the wrong foundation. And it's only when I trust that Jesus is leading me, that he's really in charge, that he's the one who can bring true and lasting peace, that he's the one that deserves true devotion, that I've discovered that life is well worth living and it's a plan worth following. So the Easter story I recommend is an amazing one. It's one where God comes and messes up people's plans. And he doesn't do it for fun, but he's doing it because he's got a higher agenda and a bigger plan to work to. He's got a plan that actually he can't stay in a tomb, dead. Why? Because he's got salvation to bring and life to bring for the whole world. He can't stay hidden away and secluded as an act of reverence, as someone to be revered and devoted to. Why? Because he's got people to come and fill with the Holy Spirit and send on their way. Jesus came to give life and hope. And the tomb had to be empty, regardless of what plans anybody else had. Today I want to encourage you and challenge you, as I'm challenged myself. Sometimes I think my plans are more important than God's. And maybe you do too. But let me just recap. If you're interested in following Jesus, but you're not sure if you're ready to say yes yet, have another look at him. Have another look at Jesus. Think about the events of Easter. Get a Bible. If you haven't got one, come and ask and we'll get you one. Get a Bible and read through what happened and see if you can trust this man and begin to trust him. Start there. Please. See if you can begin to say, I'm not convinced that me being in absolute charge is always a good thing. That's enough to begin saying yes to Jesus. Secondly, if your ambition is for a nice, quiet life, I just want to ask you whether that's really enough. Is that really going to bring peace and lasting happiness? It may bring a bit of that. It's a good plan. I don't want to disparage your plan. It might be a really good one. But I want to commend to you one who died and rose again and who said, in me there is hope everlasting and peace that never fails. Finally, if you've come today to pay an act of devotion, thank you. Thank you for doing that for Jesus, for coming to worship the King. But let me encourage you that God has a greater plan, even than our devotion. It's a greater plan because it involves sending us to go and tell the world that he lives, that he's alive, that he loves people, and he's come to save them. Shall we pray? Just while we pray, just while you've perhaps got your heads bowed, maybe your eyes are closed, I want to ask you if there's anyone here that knows that today you need to make a step to say, I want to trust Jesus more. I want to look at him and begin to trust him. And you know that this is so significant, as I've spoken about these things today, that you actually need to make some kind of acknowledgement of this for yourself. So that you know that you've said, yes, this is me. I need to make a response. And I want to encourage you, if that's you today, to just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. 
I want to take another hard look at Jesus and begin to trust him. Thank you. Is there anybody else here today that wants to do that? Thank you. I've seen your hands. You can, anybody else that wants to say, yep, that's me. I want to begin trusting. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. It's a great day to do it. It's a great day to say yes to Jesus. Thank you. I want to pray for those people, particularly. Father, I thank you that you love us enough that we can trust you because you are never going to fail us. You're never going to let us down. And though, Lord, at times we've tried to run our lives as best we can and we've tried to remain in control, we sometimes have come to the end of ourselves. And Lord, I pray for each of those people who've responded today to say they want to trust you more, begin to look at you again and trust you again. But I thank you that you are trustworthy. And as they respond today and opening up to your control and your leading and your direction in their lives, you will lead them towards yourself. God, we thank you. Thank you that you give us a brand new start. You wash us clean. Thank you, Lord, that you make us new and that walk with you is an ongoing one, not just a one-off, but an ongoing walk of devotion to you. God, I thank you that you are the one who makes us whole. You make us new. You bring us alive. Father, I pray for everybody else here too, for each one of us, that we would never seek to hold on to our plans instead of grabbing hold of yours. Father, I pray that we would never run just after what seems good when actually you're calling us to exchange that for something greater. Lord, we thank you for the Easter story which shows us that no tomb could hold you. No power was greater. No authority stronger. And it tells us that sin has been broken. Death has been beaten. And we have hope in you. So God, I pray that you'd send us from this place today full of hope and courage and boldness that you're in control. In Jesus' name, amen.